Do you ever feel like that? Some of the, the things that were said? You probably do. Several years ago, George Barna, who is a, a Christian and a pollster, he, uh, he surveyed people, Christian people, people who profess to be a Christian. He asked them, how satisfied are you with your prayer life? Do you think you have a good prayer life? It was stunning to me. It's 75%, 75% of the people interviewed said they didn't feel like they had a good prayer life. They felt like when they prayed, they didn't know how to pray or that didn't really matter. We're in our second sermon today on, on uh, prayer. It can, it has the potential to change everything. And we're going to try to answer two questions this morning. How do we pray and why should we pray? Why, why do we pray? I'm going to use a lot of different scripture. So if you have a, a pen and something to write with, uh, write these scriptures down. If you're really fast with the Bible, you can... Uh, you can follow along with me in the Bible. Uh, Luke chapter 11, verse 1 is going to be a primary place and, and where I'm going to start in just a moment. But let's begin with this. How do we pray? How do we pray? If we're going to pray effectively, how do we go about it? In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, I love this verse. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying... As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. It's interesting that biblical word that Jesus was praying is an all-encompassing word for prayer. It would be praising God, now not for Jesus, but in our sense, confessing our sins. It would be thanking God. It would be intercession, praying for other people or praying for ourselves or listening. It was an all-encompassing word. So Jesus was off and he was praying and he said, Lord, teach us to pray. That, that's what they asked him. And, and they it's, give us the knowledge. Jesus instruct us, increase our understanding. I like this last concept, shape our will and our heart so that we'll pray. I think there's two concepts. They were saying, teach us to pray. In other words, Jesus, help us to get up and get going and to be people who pray. But also in the context, they were asking him, how do we pray? How do we approach you when we pray? I want to give you several things here, just simple things, but I think can really help you in the how-tos of prayer. And we're going to look at, at some of these things week by week in the days ahead. Here's the first thing. When you pray, humbly be yourself. Humbly be yourself. At my first church, there was a, a person an older person, and, and he was nice, and I think he was very sincere. The only Bible he had ever read was the King James, and I really think that he believed if it was good enough for Paul, it was good enough for anybody else, and, and I'm certainly not against King James at all, but it was interesting when he prayed, he prayed the King James. Have you ever heard someone pray like this? Thouest goddess, dearest goddess, goddess in heaven, goddess, goddess. If you put EST on the end of everything, uh, it, it made more spiritual, and the young people, and there wasn't me, but when the young people would talk to me, they go, why does he pray like that? Why doesn't he just talk to God? And I'm not at all making fun of that. I'm just saying, when you pray, be yourself. Listen to this. I said humbly. One, you're approaching God, okay? But you're also approaching your heavenly Father and your best friend. So when you pray, you don't have to put on pretense. You don't have to, if English is your language, you don't have to pray in Spanish. If Spanish is your native language, you don't have to pray in uh, English. Be yourself when you pray. By the way, when you go to God in prayer, he, 
he knows you anyway. You're not fooling him, okay? So don't try to be something you're not. Humbly be yourself. Number two, you pray by faith, not by feeling. Now, this is so big. I know in this room today that some of you struggle mightily in prayer. And here's a big reason. It's because you are wanting to feel like you're doing something when you pray. And who doesn't want to feel like that? When I first became a Christian, it was radical. I became a Christian and it was like a night and day experience. And for about six months, man, I just glowed Jesus. You know, I felt him. I felt him everywhere. Every service was just great. Everything was great. And then the feeling went away. And, and, and in my immaturity of my faith, I thought God had gone away. So for about six months, I really struggled. And then I came back to God and I would pray and I didn't feel anything. And I felt like I'm just wasting my time. God's not hearing. And listen, listen, when I started studying my Bible, by the way, that's a great thing to do. Here's what I found out. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God, God hears you if you feel like it. Isn't that great? Nowhere in the Bible it says God forgives you if you feel like you're forgiven. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God loves you if you feel like he loves you. If you're doing this, if you are a Christian... And you are trying as best you can to have a heart that's not full of bitterness and resentment. And you're confessing your sins. You're trying to live consistently, not perfectly, but consistently. When you pray, you've got God's ear, okay? Colossians 2.6 is a great verse. It says, now then, just as you accepted and received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to follow him. You did not get saved by feeling, did you? Feeling's great. I'm not anti-feeling. You did not get saved because you had a feeling. You got saved because you placed your faith in Christ. Amen? And you continue in Christ by that. You see, when I pray, I'm going to God... And in faith, I'm believing he's hearing me and that he's going to respond. You pray in faith, not by feelings. Does that make sense? Don't you love the gray shirts out here? Don't they look awesome? I'm going to have to scream a little bit because some of them are starting to fade. So if I, if I do like this, you'll know what it's about, right? Pray by faith, not by feeling. Okay, here's the third thing. Let me, uh, let me just give you some practical tips to, to help you in your prayer life. In Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said this, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Jesus, in another translation, uh, I think in the uh, King James, in the New International Version, says, go into your closet and pray. How many of you have seen the movie, The War Room? Have you seen that movie? If you have not seen that movie, you need to see that movie. It is awesome. It's about an elderly lady who has a room in her house set aside for where she prays, and she mentors a younger lady, and she does it. And I don't know if you can find a room or a closet where you can pray, but I want to encourage you. This is a practical thing that Jesus said. You've got to, if you're going to be serious about prayer, no, no, pray throughout the day, but I'm talking about when you're going to get alone in the morning or the evening, and you're going to pray with God, find a prayer you can be by yourself. If you're fortunate enough to be able to have a closet or a room or a shed that you can do that, maybe it's just in your bed, you, you know, pulling the sheets over your head, whatever you have to do, but find a spot where you can pray and be alone with God. It, it, he says that in Matthew 6 and Luke 11, it says Jesus was in a certain place praying. And Mark chapter 1 verse 35, it says that Jesus got up early in the morning and he went off to a private place and he prayed. Pray. Find a spot where you can be alone with God. Folks, you ought to pray with other people. You ought to pray with your youth group. You ought to pray with your church. You ought to pray with your friends. But 
Uh, let me tell you, your, the, the predominant part of your prayer life should be your private prayer time. You've seen pictures of an iceberg. What's neat and scary about an iceberg is they tell us, I guess icebergologists, tell us that 10% of the iceberg is above water and 90% you cannot see. That's how your prayer life ought to be. Now, I've heard people say this, and and this is not a, a bad thing to practice either. If you've got a place where you can pray, pull up a chair. Pull up a chair. I've heard people say, I pull up a chair. When I'm praying, Jesus is sitting in that prayer with me, uh, sitting in that chair right beside me talking. If you travel, you're driving. I've heard people tell me they leave the passenger side of the seat uh, empty. They put all their stuff in the back because that's where Jesus, it's just a visual way of helping you. I had a professor in seminary that told us, pray out loud when you're praying by yourself. Now, make sure you're in a private place or you may end up in a... in a hospital. <laughs> he said praying out loud helps you to focus. It helps you to concentrate better. These are simple things that really can help you uh, in, in your prayer life. So think about this. And again, getting by yourself, man, the majority of your prayer time, the strength of your prayer life is going to be between you and God. Here's number four. When you pray, And we're going to talk about this in the weeks ahead, point by point. Use the, and I'm talking about your daily prayer time, use the seven-finger method. Now, I know these are thumbs. We're going to count them as fingers, okay? That's five, right? In the the early service, I did this a couple of times. I went, use the seven-finger method, and nobody ever got it. And I wasn't intending to do it. I had eight fingers. You see, that's a problem, right? How many are up? Can y'all count? Okay. The seven-finger method. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 9, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In Luke chapter 11, he did the same thing. We call those the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is not exhaustive, but it's, it's laying out principles of prayer. Again, we're going to start talking about these next week. When you're spending time with God, how do you pray? You've gotten alone, you've got your chair pulled up, Jesus is in that chair. You can pray out loud or at least kind of out loud without people thinking that you need medicine or something. And... And so, now, what do you do? Okay, start with this. Praise God. Praise God. Next Sunday morning, I'm going to talk about praising God when you pray. Tell him how, how much you love him and how wonderful he is. Secondly, get your heart right with others. Stop praying if you're not going to do number two and three, by the way. Ask God to help you forgive those people who have hurt you. Number three, confess your sins. This is not fun, but it's so important. Confess your sins, and confess your sins is not saying, God, if I've sinned, forgive me. It's being open and honest about your sins. Number four, I've got to count my fingers now. Number four, thank God. Thank God. Number five, pray for other people. Pray for other people. Number six is the one we do the most. Pray for yourself. Pray for yourself. See, a lot of times what we do is we skip one through five and we go straight to six. You need to do number six, but but there's an order and a method to it, okay? Pray for yourself. And lastly, number seven, listen to God. I'm going to spend a whole sermon, maybe two, talking about how do we listen to God. We certainly listen to him through the Bible. We listen to him through the Holy Spirit. And God wants to speak to you, but we need to, sometimes we need to zip our paho and listen, don't we, to hear what God has to say. This, this method will help you, and again, you need to have some order and structure 
to your prayer time. Now, here's the last thing on how to pray. Stay with it the rest of your life. You see, here's, here's a problem that we have with prayer. We quit too easy. We quit too soon. Years ago, I had a, I had a family that had something really bad happen in the family. And I was talking to the, the husband and the next day, I mean, about six hours later, he called me. He goes, well, I prayed, and I guess the man upstairs, big man upstairs, is not going to do anything about it. He's quitting. And, and, man, it was a tragedy. I mean, it was terrible. I mean, even thinking about it today, it breaks my heart. Don't go home today and pray this afternoon or pray this week and then come back next Sunday and tell me prayer doesn't work. I know it does work. But it is a lifetime commitment. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus said, he told them a story to show they should always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. Look, Jesus wants you to make a lifetime commitment to praying. You you, you don't decide, I'm going to pray a little while and it's not working. And, 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 you know, in that, the video we watched, should you pray about your prayer life? Absolutely. Ask God to help you to pray. Ask God to give you a desire to pray. God will do that. Those are prayers he's answered. But make a commitment. Listen, I want you to make a commitment this morning that you are going to be a person who prays the rest of your life, okay? Matthew 7, 7, and 8. Write those verses down. Matthew 7, 7, and 8 say, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Listen, the verbiage of that is keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. In other words, you and I need to be people who pray until Jesus takes us home. Does that make sense? Prayer doesn't need to be your spare tire. It needs to be your steering wheel, correct? It needs to be the thing that's guiding your life, okay? How do we pray? Now, let's answer this question. Why should we pray? We talked about this a little bit last week or a lot, but I want to touch on some things again. If we are told to do something, even motivated to do it, but not told how, motivation without education leads to frustration. But on the flip side of that, you can take people and you can show them how to do things But if they don't buy into it that it matters or that it's important, they won't do it. They won't do it for very long. And so what we need to understand is is the why of prayer. Why should we pray? Why does it matter that we pray? I want to give you four things. Number one, Jesus tells us to pray. Jesus tells us to pray. Again, in in Luke 18.1. Jesus told his disciples a story to show they should always pray and never give up. When I'm baptizing children, we're up there before we come out to church, and I'm talking to them about what we're fixing to do. One of the things I tell them about baptism, why are we getting baptized? Because Jesus told us to do it. Folks, there's times in your life you do stuff just because your parents told you to do it, because your coach or teacher told you to do it, your boss told you to do it. And, and all of us ought to understand when Jesus Christ tells us that we should be people of prayer, we should be people of prayer. And I want to tell you, that this is very important too, Jesus never spins his wheels. Jesus never tells us to do something that doesn't matter. Okay? Number one, Jesus tells us to pray. Number two, and boy, I'm going to bear down on this. Prayer shows we are depending on God. Now, I want you to listen to me just for a second. You who, well, listen to me the rest of the sermon. 
Some of us who are Christians, and we've been Christians for a while, we are growing in the wrong direction. We are arrogant. We are smug. We got it all figured out. And that is just the opposite of what God wants. Jesus wants you and me to be more dependent on him. Listen, here's the illustration. When a baby is born, a baby that's born healthy, it is completely dependent on the parent, right? As it grows, if it's, if it's healthy and its parents aren't goofy, the goal is independence, right? The goal is someday, I mean, Cindy and I, someday we're going to go to Hawaii and then we're not even going to tell our kids where we are. We're going to send them random postcards. Independence. The spiritual life, it's just the opposite. You are spiritually, your maturity is based on how much you are depending on God, not on how independent you are. When you became a Christian, you were independent of God. And the whole thing of growing spiritually is you grow more dependent on God. Matthew 5, 3, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. I learned it in the King James years ago. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor there means poor in spirit. Realize their need for him. Listen, you may not realize your need for God right now. You may not realize it at all. And then this afternoon, you get a call that someone you love is in the ICU unit, and they may not make it. I'm going to tell you, you're going to realize your need for God at that point. Or you go to a doctor in the next week or two, and the doctor gives you a diagnosis that's not good. Let me tell you, you will realize your need for God. What I want to challenge us to do, let's don't wait to the tragedy. Let's do it right now. And one way we show God we're dependent on Him is by praying. I hear people, and and I don't think they're trying to brag, but they go, yeah, I just don't bother God with a lot of stuff. Philippians 4, 6. Philippians 4, 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about the big things, right? Are you reading? Read that with me. Don't worry about anything. Instead... Pray about everything. You see, the more I go to God, the more I ask God, the more I seek God, I'm growing in my dependence. Some of you Christians, listen to me. You, you've got answers, you've got some head knowledge, but you are not growing in your dependency of God. One of the things that prayer does is it causes us to realize and stay dependent on God. That's one of the beautiful things about it. That's why we should do it. Here's the third thing. Jesus needed it and modeled it. Now think about this. Think think about this. Jesus Christ needed prayer and modeled prayer. In Luke chapter 5 verse 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Okay, Jesus is on earth. He's God. He's man. None of us fully understand that. We won't until we get to heaven. But as the human Jesus, one of the things that drove his life was his prayer life. When Jesus got ready to pick 12 disciples, if you remember the story, he called a business meeting. He got a committee together. No, that's not what he did. You know what he did? He went and he prayed all night. He prayed all night. 
Luke 5 tells us, and what we see throughout the, the, the Bible, is that Jesus often was getting by himself with the Father and praying. The night before he was going to be executed, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying and pleading and talking to God. Folks, listen, if Jesus needed prayer, how much more do you and I? If Jesus was perfect in everything he said and he did, and his life was saturated by prayer, how much more should yours and mine be saturated by prayer? It's really neat. In Romans chapter 8, it tells us something about Jesus. About what he's doing right now this morning. Who then will condemn you? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he, Jesus, is sitting in the place of honor at the right hand of God, pleading for us. Let me paraphrase that. You know what Jesus is doing this morning? One of the things Jesus is doing this morning is praying for you and me. Is that not awesome? Why should you be a person of prayer? Why why do it? It's because Jesus modeled it. Jesus is doing it and Jesus did it. And lastly... The syrup on the bluebell. Prayer is a huge way God has chosen to work. If the other three didn't motivate you, this should. Many years ago in the Midwest, it's a little town. It was the, the, the town and the county were dry. And by that, I don't mean they didn't get much rain. They... That the, the alcohol was illegal, and they got alcohol voted in to serve it in the county. And there was a church sitting right on the edge of the city and the county. And a guy came in and started building a bar right there near the church. The church began to pray that God would shut that bar down. They didn't want a bar right by their church. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And the bar was almost built. There was a thunderstorm. Lightning hit the bar and burned it to the ground. And the bar owner sued. He literally filed a complaint saying the church was responsible for his building being burned down. It goes to court in this little community. Everybody knows, up the, uh, knows each other. And the judge is up there reading. People are fussing. And the judge bangs his gavel and goes, let me get clear on this. Because the church is saying we had nothing whatsoever to do with this. The bar owner is saying, y'all caused my bar, uh, bar to burn down. So the judge says, let me be clear on this. We have a bar owner who believes greatly in the power of prayer in a whole uh, church full of people who do not believe in the power of prayer. (laughs) Let me tell you something, folks. Prayer matters. And God has chosen to work through prayer. hear, Hear what I'm fixing to say. Your life's not set in stone. Your marriage isn't set in stone. Your future's not set in stone. God didn't just sit up there and predetermine everything that's going to happen. God has given us way a lot of freedom. Our church history is not written yet. The city history is not written yet. Our country's history is not written yet. And one of the ways that God has chosen to work is through the prayers of his people. You can change your life, you can change your marriage, you can change your team, you can change your relationships, your church and your family if you're willing to put your life out as a life of prayer. In James chapter 4, verse 2, listen to this. You want what you don't have. 
So you scheme and you kill and you cheat to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it from them. Yet you don't have what you, what you want because you don't ask God for it. Think of the things that we may be missing because we don't ask God for those things. Luke 11, 1, one more time. Jesus is praying in a certain place. He finished praying. Teach us to pray. Now, here's something that's really neat. Nowhere in the Bible do we have any record where the disciples said, Hey, Jesus, man, you can really preach. Teach us how to preach. Nowhere do we have in the Bible, they said, man, Jesus, you can really carry a tune and play the banjo just like Justin. Jesus, teach us to sing. They never asked Jesus that we have any record of. Jesus, tell us how to explain the Bible like you do. What they asked him was, Jesus, teach us to pray. Why? Let me give you two reasons. One is they saw this was something that dominated his life. And they, they were smart enough, and they weren't always real smart, to connect the dots that Jesus' power and his peace and his love and his fruitfulness came from his prayer life. Are you following me? They saw that Jesus' power came from his prayer life, and they said, we want some of that. Isn't that great? James chapter 5, last week we looked at this, verse 16 through 18. Confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It produces wonderful results. Remember this Elijah guy, he was a person just like us. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, didn't rain for three and a half years. Then he prays again and it rains. Why should you pray? Because prayer is a way God has chosen to work powerfully. Think someday about what you may have missed out because you didn't spend time pleading with God over it. Jerry Rankin was the president of our our Southern Baptist International Mission Board. He was a foreign missionary at one time. He was a minister here in the States. He's well-educated in theology. I heard him say this several, several years ago, and it, it, it stuck with me since. He said his pride would not allow him to admit to the shallowness and the mediocrity of his spiritual life. But he said when he was finally willing to face it, he realized the reason He was a big-shot minister, but had such a weak walk with God. It's because of the shallowness and the weakness of his prayer life. God wants to take you places and do things through you you can't imagine. If you'll commit your life to him and commit your life to being a man or woman of prayer. Let's pray. I'm going to challenge you in just a moment. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, are you ready to give your life to Christ? I want you to pray with me. If you're ready to sincerely do this and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. 
Jesus, I believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Come into my heart, Jesus. And I surrender my life completely to you. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand in a minute. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus into your heart. Maybe you're ready to do that. When we stand, would you slip out and come talk to one of our ministers about that? Catch us after church if you aren't comfortable coming here in the invitation. But by all means, before you leave this building, do that. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. And one way you can do it, you can do it after church. Or when we stand, you can come. You can join us today. We would love for you to do that. Maybe you're here this morning as a Christian. And the truth is your prayer life is pretty good. Keep it up. Stay on top of it. Maybe as a Christian, the truth is, is that your prayer life's not very good. I want to encourage you where you're standing or at the altar to repent and to ask God. Say to God, God, with your help, that from this day forward, I'm going to live and I'm going to someday die as a person, a man or a woman, who spent my life lifting you up and praying. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be